This is Film Trauma Podcast, and I am your host, Rick, and I spent my entire life savings buying Blu-rays. I have a lot of downtime as a professional tattoo artist, and instead of using that time productively to research my next art project, I spent it browsing Blu-ray forums, Instagram, and Facebook groups dedicated to collecting films released by boutique labels like Severin Films, Vinegar Syndrome, American Genre Film Archive, Arrow, just to name a few. When I saw a Blu-ray collection that rivaled my own, I would feel green with envy and red with rage, and I was compelled to fill my shelves with the films I felt my collection was missing. Now I find myself on the brink of financial ruin, but I've decided to spend my time on movies rather than my life savings and rediscover all the things that made me fall in love with the movies in the first place. If you're curious about what's in my top shelf collection, I've logged everything on Letterboxd. You can find me there under Film Trauma. I'm also on Instagram at Film Trauma Podcast and Twitter at Film Trauma Pod. Now, let's get into today's episode. Oh, Giallo, our fickle friend. We're back again for another edition of Giallo January. How you doing, Rob? Oh, I'm doing well. Um, you know, I, for me, almost every month is uh, Giallo month, but I really That's like true. that the horror aficionados have dubbed giallo january i think that's kind of a neat touch you know they do some screenings and very kind of boutique restored old school theaters like there's one on the south side of chicago and i just think it's good that a lot of these old movies are thriving and then they have an audience in today's society yeah years later I i think that's a really cool feature i agree and i was thinking for march we should do martial arts march Oh, yeah, because I know I've been telling you, you know, oh, you got to watch Five Deadly Venoms. Yeah, and and I will, too. The Flying Guillotine and, you know, just some other ones. There's a lot of great Shaw Brothers stuff and some other Chuck Norris gems we could dig into, like Silent Rage. I've been trying to get you on board that one for a while. So Well, we'll do that, and then I have the Shaw Scope Volume 1 and 2, and I've got just a bunch of them. I've got a ton of them to watch um some cynthia rothrock stuff we can go into which i know that you're oh, sure that you like her i like her too she's great yeah she is great i i never got to see a lot of her stuff but i remember my dad renting a few of them when i was younger and i remember some of the stuff she did with charles bronson family of cops near the end of his life so yeah fond memories if not necessarily fond films i own family of cops isn't there like five of those movies I think there's more than one. Okay, because I <laughs> yeah I don't know. I picked up a number. I picked up a set uh, at the Goodwill. So, but in any case, we're getting into the weeds here. Um, today we're gonna we're gonna do some heavy hitters. Uh, we talked about five star Giallo films last episode, and you mentioned your five star picks. One of yes. them would be uh, All the Colors of the Dark from the great yes. Sergio Martino. That's right. And I have the Severin Blu-ray. And what's I neat about too. mine is it also comes with a limited edition soundtrack. Did yours come with that? Yeah, yeah. It's a two-disc soundtrack, and it has a little a little card in, inside, too, with uh, the demon hand caressing her nude bosom and um, the cool necklace, which I think is a cool, would be a cool tattoo as well. Oh, this movie is, is wrought with, with uh, wonderful images and and visuals and before we dig into it i feel like i should qualify a little bit of my remarks from the end of last episode okay these are all subjective naturally and what i may watch and and view as five star someone else may not get it and maybe that's because the first one i ever watched was blood and black lace so that kind of gave me an expectation or, or what I look for and use in comparison as far as the visuals and music and, and style. And All the Colors of the Dark is one of a very short list that captivated me in the same way that Blood and Black Lace did. And uh-huh. I feel that every scene is, is pretty just spectacular. And mm-hmm. it's an entirely different kind of movie. It's different from many other giallos. And uh, for that reason, I, you know, I absolutely love it. And 
it's a different story, but we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. And uh, I know I've said that sometimes I think Argento gets more credit than he should have, but the other one we're going to talk about today is Tenabre, and I think that deserves more credit. And uh, it does. That to me is is five, and I would give Bird four and a half because last time okay. I mentioned I don't know which one I would give. You know, one of them would get four and a half, and one would give five. Uh, Tanabre to me is a five. So after we break down these two, I'm kind of doing it backwards today. I think both of these titles are are five star picks, in my humble opinion. I agree. And if you at home have not um, don't know anything about all the colors of the dark, we can read you from the back of the box here. The ultimate. Jalo Shocker, now uncut in HD for the first time ever in America. Even by extreme 1970s standards, it remains among the more notorious and disturbing thrillers in genre history. Now experience one of the most entertaining Jali you've ever seen, like you've never seen it before. The luscious Edvige Fennec gives the performance of her career as a woman tormented by visions of satanic violence, hallucinatory horror, and psychosexual insanity george hilton ivan rasimov and susan scott co-star in this euro shock masterpiece from director sergio martino and screenwriter ernesto gastaldi with possibly one of the best horror scores of all time and i would agree with that i think um this movie came out right after the exorcist and it was sergio martino's um exorcist copy i think and it was to capitalize on the success of the exorcist because when that came out it was the most uh, notorious and shocking film of all time so you saw a lot of spin-offs i'm sorry not the exorcist rosemary's baby there you go yep it was a rosemary's baby so um it it really pushed a lot of buttons rosemary's baby and it came out at a time that was like the rise of satanic horror because you it was like 1969 and you had like the summer of love and hippies and all that stuff so um rosemary's baby spawned a lot of um copycats yeah, and that's very consistent with italian film is to copy what's successful elsewhere that's just the nature of making movies anyway if someone else is successful yeah. you want to be successful as well yeah, and we should mention why that is, is because um, during the Hollywood boom from the universal horror and all that, 30s, 40s, and 50s, they were, Hollywood was 25 years ahead of Italy because Italy was still under a fascist regime. And, um, you know, they couldn't make movies like that. So, but they had to catch up in the 60s. So, you know, when when they were able to do that, they just kind of like just did whatever they could and hid their uh, heritage and made them look like internet, you know, the American movies. They had to hid, hide the Italian nature of them to pump them out. And um, which I think today you wouldn't have to do that because, you know, the more Italian, the better, in my opinion. Yeah. And what I like about these movies is it almost feels like they're trying to make up for lost time. Cause a lot of these yeah. movies that are paced really, really well, they just press the pedal to the metal and it's a full throttle stimulus overload. Now, some of them are better than others. Some of them are mm-hmm. horrifically bad. Thank you, trauma. But uh, yeah, <laughs> this, this <laughs> yeah. What I really like about this one is it almost feels it feels like a nightmare the whole time. I mean, it starts like a dream sequence, mm-hmm. and Edwige's character, whose name is Jane, I believe, in this movie. Yeah, she She's... struggles the whole movie with not knowing what's a dream, what's a nightmare. Now her nightmare is starting to become reality. She's mm-hmm. constantly stalked by this blue-eyed uh, villain played by Ivan Rasimov, who has a very photogenic face. His eyes are kind of deep set, and he kind yeah. of has a kind of a gaunt face. He's and they they use that. It just makes him look very menacing. And they do some things in here that are pre-Halloween, like everywhere she goes. She sees him, and he's gradually getting closer. The threat is getting closer. And one scene, you know, he swipes at her with an axe, and he throws a an animal head down the stairs at well, her. That was cool. Yeah, there's just a constant pursuit. And I agree with you. Towards the end, it, it's, it gets a little repetitive, but the ending makes the rest of the movie make sense because 
not well, the, we do do spoilers here, but at the end of the movie, she still cannot uh, separate what's dream and reality. And you think by now it would all be crystal clear, right? But she still can't tell the difference. She still can't make that distinction. Well, and I think it was because Sergio Martino said that he used a mechanism um, that was the first of its kind, he said. And it was edited out of a release and it made the last sequence uh nonsensical did you did you listen to the interview did you watch the interview with him on the disc um i didn't get a chance uh to do that i did watch the last of the mohicans featurette most of it with screenwriter ernesto gastaldi and uh-huh. i seemed to go right in on that and i watched a lot of the commentary uh with giallo as the color an interview with george hilton so yeah i, I watched that to too access all the yeah i haven't got to access all the special features yeah and oh, i know good. what i'll get from commentary from cat ellinger because she's always very very thorough and, yeah yeah and um, descriptive martino that, that if you're gonna watch anything on that disc you gotta watch that martino interview because he's just such a joy to listen to he talks about um the whole thing and, and how it was a dupe of you know rosemary's baby and they're capitalizing and all that stuff and i think that giallo was kind of at its weakest when it did things like that when it copied other films because giallo turned into this genre this machine this entity that didn't need to borrow from anything else other than it's than it's uh native predecessors really you know i think you could one guy could borrow from the next from the next i think he talks a little bit about that in the in the interview you know, you, you can borrow from that guy, but you don't need to borrow, in my opinion, from the West too much in those early Jello films because I think it only um, dilutes the brand a little bit and serves to weaken the impact of it because there's just a level of just clunky, quirky charm that I love about it. And I think that's really what happened in um, some of Argento's films too. They're just, they got too Western and... Um, the simplicity of the giallo is what makes it impactful and what they were able to accomplish on such a minuscule budget. Yeah, and now, however, this one, um, I don't think suffers from imitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything, even though it uses a lot of props, like the gold-handled knife and the uh, like, the eye tattoo that is yeah, that's cool. Green and white, which is the same big icon that the guy wears on the pendant and the same big icon in the statue in the bottom of this castle where they're having these repeated black masses and and satanic orgies um this to me it's a lot creepier a lot more gory a lot more graphic a lot more entertaining than than rosemary's baby in Uh my humble opinion um but yes it, it definitely borrows the satanic theme and the cult aspect that is there in Rosemary's Baby and it turns it up a notch it turns it to 11 if I can borrow from Spinal, Spinal Tab, tab yeah. yeah yeah there, there's, yeah. A, there's a lot that works there's a lot that works and the only thing that threw me off was I, I when I go into these movies not knowing anything I purposely don't research them and I want to just go in totally blind not knowing anything and be surprised by it so I think that is sometimes could be good or bad and um, this movie just kind of left me confused. I wasn't sure where it was heading. And then by the middle, you know, the end of the second act, I was like, all right, what is going on? And it was very repetitive. She was running a lot in this movie. She runs from point A to point B constantly. And it got to be a little like on screen downtime, you know, and I just kind of needed to hurry up and finish some of the stuff. But then when it gets to the end, it's a it delivers really hard. I was really bored with this movie, honestly, for most of it until the very very end, and then it just delivered and and pushed it over the top for me and and made it one of my favorite giallo of all time. Yeah, and it does have um, a little bit of a slower pacing, and part of that is to show that her nightmare is now becoming reality, and her reality is in fact horrific, and then she. We have a sequence and then oh she wakes up and it's a dream and then everything that was in the dream happens to her more or less yeah that's and cool then there's a, a violent confrontation on top of the roof where uh after the police reveal everyone that's in the sect yeah the head guy is is killed and then 
then she goes on to this very brief monologue with George Hilton on there. She's like, oh, I just, I, something along the lines of she knew this was going to happen. She dreamed this was going to happen, but she couldn't stop. She couldn't help. So that, that it, it just comes full circle. It's like dream, reality, reality, back to her well, dream. Basically, yeah. Yeah, basically so, it's, it's Jane gets caught up. She, they move into this building and her and her husband and they wind up getting caught up she gets caught up in the satanic cult this woman goes uh this woman um off, you know invites her to this castle where they're performing these rituals she gets all caught up in this cult and that's when the whole uh rigmarole starts with her and she's unable to distinguish what from what and you never really know like who's good and who's bad and you kind of always thought the husband was in on it and then at the very end yes like he's not in on it he's not he doesn't know you know he's actually an innocent guy and he defends his wife and it was one of those few giallos where he just was a good guy you know yes because unlike in the case of the scorpion's tale where he's um a good-looking guy who turns out to be a dastardly villain right uh yeah, he, he kind of plays the role a little differently this time. And he gets much less screen time. He does. Than some of the other films that he's in. Yeah. And I don't think that's a problem in this one because uh, this movie is really about Edwige's character. So I think it's yeah. appropriate that they give her most of the t- this time. And I like that uh, her neighbor that kind of takes her under her wing and, and influences her. I like it that she herself kind of commits suicide by flinging herself on the the dagger and then you know she doesn't believe it's going on and then they show her that her body's there and oh you can't renounce us and um, there's another chase where she gets kind of chewed on by a dog a little bit and then she wakes up and she's got scratches on her arms and the tattoo on the inside of her wrist and yeah just some weird yeah. stuff it was kind of all over the place but you know it was very stylish and it didn't it didn't bug me i was just trying to figure out I was just trying to figure out the internal logic of this one. And sometimes they're without that internal logic. And that's okay. But I think that, like, like you don't want to confuse the audience. And I was a little confused. And when that happens, I get a little distracted. So, you know, you don't want to distract people from it. But it doesn't really matter. Um, it's a 40-year-old film, 50-year-old film now at this point. But yeah. um, I think overall it was really solid. And it was really powerful. And I really enjoyed it. And... She is just fantastic, and she is the Jalo Bond girl. You know, she really is the poster girl. She is, and she does a lot. Like she can put forth a lot of emotion with her face. She's like great. Fear and anxiety, um, and I guess from what I understand, according to the interview on here, she does producing and stuff like that. So that's really cool that she's still involved. Oh, she does uh, with movie making and stuff like oh, good. that. Yeah, that's what George Hilton says. He goes, I don't get to see see her very often she's doing producing and stuff uh, these days but yeah i mean it makes me wish that there's 50 of her giallo films but, oh i uh, know yeah oh, i, I guess know. the handful of them the handful of them that there are are, are fabulous and yeah. yeah she sets the bar high she's my she, favorite gialli girl there's some other yeah. ones that are well known but she's i the, use her as the comparison to all of them she's the queen she really is. And, um, you know, when you watch movies like this uh, from this era, the overdubbing doesn't bother me. Um, the quirkiness, the strangeness doesn't bug me. But when you get into some later Jalo films like the Death Rattle era with opera, for example, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. it just doesn't work. And before we get too much, well, I, okay, we'll get into, I think overall you said this is your five star, right? Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about Blood and Black Lace uh, after I get my copy of Suspiria in mm-hmm. because you feel that would be a very, very good pairing. I think so. Um, yeah, I give Blood and Black Lace a five-star, and I also give this a five-star because it's the, only the second film that made me feel the same way Blood and Black Lace did, even though it's entirely different from Blood and okay. Black Lace. And I really, I really like this one for the subject matter. I like okay. the satanic angle. I like mm-hmm. the cult angle i like the reoccurring theme of the main heroine gradually losing her mind or struggling Mm -hmm. with reality what's dream what's nightmare the whole movie feels like a nightmare and i agree with you it takes a while to have the pot boil over um and in most cases this would be something that that bothers me Mm -hmm. but it doesn't bother me with this movie And, and for that feeling they must have done something right because I like something or I hate it. I'm usually not very lukewarm. And, uh, yeah. 
So for me, I, I give this a five. I guess I wouldn't okay. be surprised if, if you don't, but uh, for, it's one of my fives, yes. I'll say it was um, it's a solid four and a half for me, just because um, it subverted my expectations in the end, and it, it went somewhere, and it took everything that it was showing me, and it paid off, and that's why I liked it as much as I did. And I was like, "Oh, okay, that's where all that went." So it just wasn't, it wasn't like a fart in the wind, like some of these other ones. We're just like, "What?" You know, some, <laughs> some of these other these other angles, you see, like, "Huh? Where did what, that was pointless?" But there was none of that in this. It was a little wishy washy, but that doesn't mean it was doesn't detract from its overall enjoyability for me. So you know, four and a half, solid four and a half is is. Is actually is factual for me, and that's that's a good rating because you know you're an informed guy. You've watched a lot of opinions. We hold these to a certain standard. Yeah, so we're very honest when we feel that some of them deliver and some of them miss the mark completely. Yeah. So, if a title earns four, four and a half, or five, it's pretty close to perfect. There's yeah. a lot more good than a lot more bad. Yes. And did did you get the impression that some of the wishy washy stuff? kind of fit in though with like it with did. the psycholog- psychological aspect so it, it didn't seem out of place in no context with everything it, else it, it did in the beginning because i wasn't sure where it was going because there isn't enough information these these the stories aren't that complex in here so they don't give you enough information to is it is it a or b or c they don't do that with these movies so it's it's this and then you're like is it a dream or is it not a dream and then you're left with two choices and then, you know what I mean? It just, it, so yeah, I'll just, I do know what you mean. Yeah. I'll they just, don't spend a third of the film on backstory. They no, don't. they, they, they do. not No. no. So, so for that, it was a little, just a little difficult, I think, trying to figure out if, and, and only because they peppered in the guy with the blue eyes and you're like, huh? Yeah. You know? And I was like, is he going to, what's going to, what is happening? But, you know, if I had seen this movie, if this was the, I wish this was the first Giallo I ever saw because this would have set the bar really high for me. And it sure. may, and it may have tainted all of the other ones that preceded it um, or followed it because um, it is satanic and you don't get any of that really in the rest of these Giallo. You get some cult stuff oh. here and there, but this is a, this stands out. So I don't know. It's tough. I would even, I might even have to go for a five because it's just such a unique little gem in the genre. It is. And how about that sequence when she's crouching in the flat and the blue eyed stranger comes in and he's in between those two doors and there's a lot of green light. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah. Red light, blue light. And he's stabbing forward, but then he's also stabbing backwards several times and then she clenches his wrist i really like how he did that whole sequence it's yeah. visually impressive it's really good and i wish i would have i don't know i guess i am kind of glad that i watched it at the tail end after i've watched like 20 I, I am glad that i did see all of his other stuff before this because nothing can prepare you for for this movie and you really have to be open to it so it's a, it, it is definitely a strong contender for me for a five. It's up there. It's really up there. And and I, you know, George Hilton is just great. Obviously, if we're writing another story about the actor, <laughs> his look and his performance. I mean, he's he's definitely, uh, you know, he's yeah. one of my it's favorites. A, it's understandable how he got cast in a lot of these movies, and and not to get too far off in the weeds, but after he was noticed for his performance in massacre time by lucio fulci that's when a lot of these other offers started to come through for him and he was listed first in the credits on here above edwige and some of the others and that angered him but he goes it's just business he goes be what was a ploy to try to draw people into the theater so he goes it's like if someone cast el pacino in a movie and he only has a small role they're not going to list him last so right I right that was an honest appraisal of and just the, there's a certain charm to these Italians talking about themselves and others that I, I find almost irresistible. So, anyway, yeah, that's all the colors of the dark, folks. Yeah, it was really good. It, yeah, it's a strong it's it's a strong four and a half, nearly a five for me. It's, it's hard for me to it's a tough one. Um, 
but it's really good. So yeah, um, and then we segue into Argento territory with the first time. The first time we're doing that, we've yeah. covered a lot of other grounds, and we've mentioned them, and now we're actually going to talk about some of his work in in detail. Yeah. So Tenabre, let me read a little bit here from the back of the box. Terror beyond belief. A notorious horror classic returns in all its depraved glory. This infamous video nasty updated the classic giallo blueprint for the glorified 80s. Glorified 80s. Courting controversy and drenching the viewer in a crimson arterial spray. A razor-wielding psycho is stalking the horror writer Peter Neal in Rome to promote his latest work, Tenabre. But the author isn't the obsessive killer's only target. The beautiful woman who surround him are doomed as one by one they fall victim to the murderer's slashing blade. Will fiction and reality blur as fear and madness take hold? Watch in terror as as by turns the cast fall victim to the sadistic imagination of Dario Argento's Italy's master of horror. There's a little weird, um, it's worded, it's kind of funny in the back of this. I have the Arrow Blu-ray. Yeah. Okay, I have a Synapse Films uh, okay. DVD. Yeah. So, um, basically, Tenabre is the story of Peter Neal. He's an author who wrote a book called Tenabre, and it was a and it's uh it's a, it's a giallo book, yes. and and it, it has elements. The contents of it are all about uh, the works of giallo. It's 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 got hom- elements of homosexuality, murder, drug use, all these sorts of lurid things, and um, it's very controversial. So when he goes to Italy to promote it, he's greeted by. Um, a talk show host who wants to talk about it and he's sort of fixated on this idea of 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 sickies and weirdos and depraved people and um you know then he so so then all these like um these killings pop up um and yeah, the, the first one we see the gloved hand tearing pages of this book and cramming them into a lady's mouth before killing her with the razor. Pretty right, intense. right. Yeah, they're, they're stuffing the pages of, of Tenabre into the mouths of these women. And, well, the first, I should say, the, the first sequence, um, we see Peter Neal arrives at the airport, and he's with, he, he's being chased by his mistress. And we see her watching the plane leave. And then as she disappears from the film, we're like, okay, I'm thinking she's not done with this dude yet. She's going to make an appearance. Something is going to be a thing here. And, of course, if you're paying really close attention in Tanabre, you would have noticed that the letters, that the things that he's writing about in the opening sequence is really the tone or, like, his motive for his killings. So yes, that's that's really what it's about for him. His whatever I can't remember what it is now, but that's that's I remember thinking that's exactly what it was. But so um, everyone uh, around Peter Neal, he, he's uh, accosted by the police, and they're like yada yada yada. You gotta you know don't leave town. And then his buddy, his little his little bodyguard buddy, his helper buddy, has to help him solve the crime. And then they do, and then the buddy gets killed, and then everyone else gets killed, and. It's just well, a John Saxon is his publicist. That's what he is. Yeah. So yeah, and yeah. then and then the woman and then so you see we then we see like um, um, glimpses of the woman in Italy all over the place. And you're like, was that her? And then you find out that John Saxon and the woman are having an affair. And then, and then he and then John Saxon is murdered in the park in the middle of the day. And you're you're thinking, oh, it's got to be John Saxon. It's got to be this. Got to be that. And they're picked off one by one. And uh, it's really, I think, in my opinion, it's Dario Argento's giallo masterpiece because it is a social comment on giallo and the public's perception of giallo. And he takes everything about this genre and just throws it in your face and turns it to 11. And he's like, all right, if you think giallos are lurid and if you think they're gross and if you think that they're bloody and violent, I'm going to give you the most bloody and violent and lurid giallo you've ever seen. And he delivers hard in this movie. Big time, big time. And boy, oh boy, uh, the scene where the two brunette-haired women 
get killed. But before there's the killing, there's this intense long sequence of just showing the outside of the building, like going up the windows, going on the roof, all this stuff just to show what he can do with the camera. And that feels very vain, right? Like he wants to do that to give himself a pat on the back. Absolutely. Right? Kinda, it's very Hitch- Hitchcockian, kinda, yeah. Yeah, he must have been irritated at that point in his life, or I'm presuming he was irritated or offended or wanted to show something that he has a flair for style, an eye for detail. I don't know. An for the subtleties, but he he sure did that a lot. And then, like, with the straight razor busting out the light bulb and, and all this, there's it's just dripping with style. And, and the scene where he forgets the keys in the door and he zooms in on, like, the keys rattling back and forth, like, yeah. three times, you know? Did you pick up on some of that? I did. did you feel and that way? I, you know what? I thought really it was about just the, a lot of these guys are in love with uh, Orson Welles, and they're in love with Citizen Kane. You know, and uh. and these big long uh, tracking shots and these dolly shots and all this stuff like that. And I didn't. And then some Hitchcock stuff like that. You know, they're they're really into it. Um, the that sort of Western influence. But I don't know. I think that. Like, especially in opera, you have a ton of shots that just go on way too fucking long. In the beginning of opera, especially, the, the the interior of the opera house, it's like, dude, just fucking get on with it already. Like, give me something here. You know, you're boring me to death. Well, um, something has to happen. We've already established that we're in an opera building. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a huge place. We know it's tall. We know there's multi-tiered uh, balconies. We know there's a stage. We know there's a curtain. Get on with it. Get on with it, yeah. <laughs> Tanabri yeah. doesn't have a lot of that, but you'll see it every now and then. He does get a little camera happy. Like he just, he just he's in love with his camera. The man is in love with looking at looking at things through the lens of his camera. That's how he views the world. And you can see that. And it comes across in his work, Argento, because he is a master of creating these wonderful bringing these wonderful ideas to life. And that's the most prevalent in opera, but we're not talking about opera. We're talking about Tenabre, but Tenabre yes. is, is all story and it's really good. It has a full story. It's got a full a cohesive, coherent giallo story complete with an exposition dump at the end. And it all makes perfect sense. And it has one of the best twist endings of any giallo ever. Yes. And, um, the only scene in here that I thought that went on too long, even though I enjoyed it, I, is the scene where the lady gets off to the back of the motorcycle, she's outside the compound, and boom, there's that snarling, jumping Doberman. I love it's that. It's over the fence. I love yeah, that. I like it, too. I like it, too. But I just feel that it, it went on a lot longer than it needed to. Yeah. You know, she's chasing her, then she gets mauled by it, then she gets away from the dog, she finds the entrance to the lair, which is the same one with the, the keys, rattling she discovers the film booth and and all the cut up letters where he would piece together the notes and then bam then the dog is right outside the glass again barking and snarling it's like we've already seen the dog barking and snarling and getting her like five times in the last five minutes i agree yes the uh, dog's vicious the dog got her we know that it could get her again um so th- th- that was the only thing that i thought was a bit much but if that's all that i have to complain about i'm really splitting hairs um, the Especially, death scenes in yeah. this movie were fabulous, including the very end where the lady gets her forearm chopped off, and it's intentionally, almost laughably, bloody over the top. Uh, but that didn't really seem to bother me either. It, it was stylistic. It was and, cartoonish. Yeah, it was. It was cartoonish, and uh, the the end. It's the big reveal is that it's in fact the author himself. Well, yeah, he says yeah. He, he, he was a suspect in a crime scene. But if it was him, it was so traumatic on him that it would uh, impact his future behavior. Because there's this very weird scene where this lady is led down to the beach by a shirtless guy, only to find out that there's several other guys down there. And she's kind of on her knees in front of the flies of all their pants. It's it's kind of a very weird scene. But then one guy slaps her and she starts to bleed and she starts to run away. But then they aid her in holding the guy down so she can shove the heel of a stiletto shoe down his throat almost like forcing oral sex on him with her own shoe that was a very weird scene a very, very lurid weird. very yeah very very weird and um that was 
Peter, that was the whole explanation for why Peter Neal needed to be a killer, I guess, and why he wrote stuff like that. And like, yes, and, and it had like a dual killer. So, so initially, the killer is revealed to be the journalist who was obsessed with Peter Neal's work. Okay, so he yes. did he did that, and then Peter Neal found out that his his fiance and his agent were having an affair so then he had a masquerade as the killer to kill them but when it was found out that the the TV guy was actually he was the real killer then everyone else had to go because everyone who found out his secret had to get picked off one by one after that so yeah no loose ends no loose ends so at the very end he thinks that he had killed you think he thinks he accidentally killed Jane, but it wasn't Jane; it was somebody else, right? And then there's fabulous sequence where he comes in and it's raining, and he kills that woman. And then um, the police come in, and he's collapsed in the corner over her body, and they go into this exposition dump. He's figured it out, and then um, he gets a he gets killed. He, uh, Peter Neal gets killed. They think. And then he, he leaves. Kills himself. He kills. He, he shoots he himself. His yeah, cuts his own throat. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that was nuts. And then he, uh, the detective absconds with the woman, and they go sitting in the car, and they go back into the house for whatever reason. And then Peter Neal's. That was a really great, great twist there. Peter Neal's not dead. It's a phony knife. And yeah, it has a little button in the handle that he pressed the button. Super and cool. Some red paint comes up. So it's, it's just a gag that he cut his own yeah. throat. Yeah. And then, like, he uh, axes the detective to death right in the back, and the woman is screaming. And then you have that crazy statue that you see the, the entire film, and you're like, "It's weird. Why are you showing me this?" And then, like, it gets knocked against the door. And then she pushes it open, and then it stabs Peter in the gut, and he dies. And the film ends with her screaming in the rain, and it's just like, it, it's just a fucking roller coaster. That whole ending, the whole movie, really. It's just what a fabulous giallo film. Yeah, and. It's, it's a good combination of style, like we, we said earlier. It's a good cam- combination of checking the genre trope boxes. And it's a good... Uh, it delivers on the gore. It, it doesn't... This movie shows you what it's going to do. It doesn't imply anything. It, it yeah. lets you have it. it you know, if you like it, that's going to be great. If it's something that makes you squeamish or if you're looking for more subtle, this movie's not subtle. It's like a torso in that regard. I agree, and it's it's a really good entry-level film for someone who's an American a Western horror fan. I said, I've never seen a Jalo movie. I want to see it. What's the one Jalo I can watch? Well, this is the movie to watch because it has American actors, and it's set in Italy, and it has all of the tropes of the genre in it, but the only caveat there is if you, if you go backwards and you set the bar that high, you may be a little underwhelmed with and whatever follows because they're not all this crazy no. but a lot of them are like strip nude for your killer has a lot of the very same elements and I think that Argento just took the extremism from all these films and threw them all in one and there you go yeah and this is kind of unique too because 1982 with the release of this and also the New York Ripper from Lucio Fulci um, they kind of figured it was the curtain call of yeah. the genre, mm-hmm. kind of the last the last year where you had a couple high quality, heavy hitting films released, um, and obviously more films were made nineteen after nineteen eighty two. But I think it's safe to say that the quality would be few and far between. You'd have to look a little harder to find good stuff, and I'm sure there's still plenty of good stuff out there, but it's. Uh, not as frequent, not as prevalent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know that the squeeze is worth the juice trying to track down and, and convince yourself that some of these late 80s, 20th, 21st century films are as good. I, I, I don't know that they are. I mean, maybe I'm being a little bit biased, but I don't think I'm completely off if, if that's kind of the predominant school of thought by people that have watched a couple hundred of these movies or spent a lot of time on the genre. I think it's good to be aware of that, of what you're getting into with some of these smaller films afterwards. Yeah, and I think it's all a matter of taste there. I mean, if, if you have a more Western palette and you're just, and you're okay with movies like Sleeping with the Enemy and that's kind of your speed, you know, 
before you got into giallo and then you see some more giallo maybe you pick up some late 90s films and you now you're a bit more aware of it maybe and you know you get the hint in the air like ah this is definitely inspired by you know um, older stuff yeah this is definitely has that flavor and then you look at the cast and you're like ooh the DP is Italian maybe you know what I mean like right so so there's a little bit of that there too but um, I don't know there are some well Giallo continued to thrive in Italy and there was there was a lot of TV series made in Italy in fact Full Moon Features just released or is about to release a Sergio Martino film that you've never seen and I've never seen and in fact it was a TV series that was turned and edited into a movie and it was called The Scorpions something I can't remember what it is but it's like Curse of the Scorpion with two Scorpion with two tails or yeah, something? Is yeah, that it? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something like that. Yeah, there. Uh, Full Moon Features is coming out with that. It's got it's got actually no supplemental material or very little supplemental material. No, nothing, nothing like you know Severin or Vinegar Syndrome does. But I'm interested in seeing that because it's a uh, you know it's, it's some of the Twilight years of Giallo stuff. Yeah, and I guess you also did one in. 1999, like Mozart is a murderer or something like that. Okay, murder for Mozart, and I guess that was, I think, his last time making something for the genre. So if we can track down a copy of that, it may be kind of neat as just a kind of career retrospective film, maybe. Yeah, because he definitely is the master. I think. Um, Well, you know, even Lindsay and 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 um, Martino, I think, are the masters. Argento is just kind of in a category of his own. I mean, with this one, if he had more movies like this, then I would say he would be the master for sure. But they yeah. just they just got to whatever. See, the know. problem that I find with a lot of his movies is that there's no middle ground. Yeah. For every movie that I view like Tenabre, I find one that just doesn't keep my interest. Yeah or just misses the mark completely and maybe I don't get it but I don't know that that's the case I mean I'm not a I'm not a dumb guy but uh, you kind of get what I'm I mean I know yeah out. no I get I get what you're saying just like for whatever but, reason you get lost and what they're the message of the movie is yeah like let's let's talk about opera for just a few minutes yeah that to me has the worst anticlimactic dull pointless complete waste of 15 minutes ending why the hell did he have to spend that much time when they're over in Sweden or Switzerland or whatever in that rural little community when it has nothing to do with this huge building and Macbeth production that he just spent the everything previous spoon feeding us? And then she's, was this like a, is he paying tribute to the sound of music? She's walking in the field and she finds a lizard? You know what? You you know what? I think though, my opinion when I first watched it, I felt like he was paying homage to the strange vice of Mrs. Ward because that's the ending, or uh, that's the ending, right? No, the ending for what's that one with? uh, We just did it. Um, Strange vice of Mrs. Ward is the car crash and the police yeah 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 that's the ending he's paying homage to for sure he has to be he has to be paying homage to it because like that sequence where the killer comes out and he reveals himself and then all of a sudden all the fucking police and the helicopters like bum rush him and you're like what just happened and then the lizard i think in the ground you could argue maybe it was lizard in a woman's skin maybe it was a reference to that i don't know you know, that's but, the, that's what I thought. I was like, is that a Fulci reference? What is the deal with the fucking lizard all of a sudden? Now, if this if this movie would have been made, like, let's say, 2007 instead of 1987, I think he may be onto something there. But at that point in his life, I think he still had a little bit of animosity okay. towards some of, some of the other guys. I, I don't know that he became friends with some of these guys until a little bit later on. And okay. I think being successful is a, is a great thing. I, I can only imagine what that must be like. But, I, God, I just don't know. Do you think he would spend that much time to kind of, on his film, to acknowledge others in the late 80s? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I but just don't know. I know that he, when he made um, some of his stuff, he just didn't know what the ending was going to be. 
and he just went and that, in. But that comes apparent to me in this one. It's, yeah, you didn't need this ending at all. Sense. It made no sense. No. It, it just felt really tacked on because the whole thing with the opera, and I don't even really want to spend any. I don't even want to spend an episode on this, so we can just talk about it now because I think so. Yeah, I, it, it doesn't. I don't even really care much about it. And it, but you know, it's really one of the most beautiful. Um, Argento movies, one of the most beautiful giallo ever. It, it looks fantastic. It's very elaborate. It has an yes. f- awesome fucking soundtrack, and it's very much a film of, of of its time. I mean, you couldn't have made this movie any earlier, and you couldn't have made it any later because of the soundtrack, and it just mixed like like heavy Judas Priest metal and like opera music, and it just was, it just, in theory, on paper, it sounds fucking awesome, but then the pacing of it was so unbelievably, gruelingly slow, but the kills were amazing. Just not enough of them, unfortunately. Yeah, and then like the and then the story was fi- actually the story was fine, and I and I liked, I liked it. But the problem, my biggest problem with the movie overall, I think it was how it was handled because he didn't shoot it in English language. And I think that's probably what he should have done because William McNamara's voice being overdubbed by that Italian actor or whoever whoever it was like doing the overdubbing was so distracting because I know William McNamara's voice. I've seen him in tons of shit. So it just it, it bugged me a lot. And some of the performances were stilted. And I think that like when you look at a movie as polished and as beautiful, you do not want those performances to be stilted. They have to match the the glory the the luster and it doesn't do that it's because of the sort of the lo-fi quality of these older giallo the overdubbing and the clunkiness is charming but in this is very distracting it's out of place with everything else that's going on yeah yeah and and you you can't tell me that there was budget and means because it didn't in 1987 that wasn't a fucking thing anymore so don't give me budget and means you know what i mean so no i totally agree so it's like they he should have just figured out a way whatever it was to break from the genre and make a movie whatever his movie was going to be without also without the exposition dump at the end because I feel like if he was trying to transcend the genre or I don't even really know what his purpose was, but that's part of the problem with the story. There, there Again, there's an unneeded exposition dump where you could have told me that if you've given me enough fucking information to begin with. Yeah, and it's <laughs> that's just why I'm, I, I feel so conflicted and that his films are so diverse, so polar opposites. I, I love Tenabre. I really like the Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Yeah, it's great. I'm hoping that I, I'm hoping that I like Suspiria. I think Cat O' Nine Tales is average. It's, it's not horrible. Um, I was very, very unimpressed. Besides the visuals of opera, the story was just didn't do it for me. I was very unimpressed with that one. When I you, couldn't really get into trauma too much. But uh, when when you, you know, when you come over tomorrow. With the script, I will give you the uh, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, and I think you'll really enjoy that. We can talk about that when you watch it because I really like that movie, and I think you will too. Because it's it's an, it's an early it's an early Argento. It's true to the genre. It feels on par with all the other films of its kind, and it delivers, and it's uh, it's satisfying. Even though he didn't know what the fuck he was going to do at the ending of it, he didn't. He just winged it. It worked well, and. Um, it wasn't preposterous like everything else. I mean, there was some, I had some questions, but, and I think you'll have the same questions as I do, like with the, about what the story, like, why did he do that? What was the purpose of that? But, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, opera was just one of the most beautiful, amazing, stunning disappointments that I've seen in a genre, yes. you know? That's a movie that I really wanted to like it. I really wanted to. Yeah enjoy it it just because that couldn't happen for me the tension is palpable when like you have her you you have her like tied up and they have the pins taped under her eyes and she's freaking out and all these close-ups and just the idea of a killer yeah yeah that idea he captures her and makes her watch all these murders what a fucking cool idea it just i don't know i really don't know what went wrong in that movie but um (laughs) argento said he like went to italy or he went to India after that and moved there for a while because he felt like he made a bad movie. And I definitely agree with that because it, it was, uh, the story was bad, but you know what? Like 
that who was it that said um, you can't take a bad script and make a good movie? He did. He, uh, that he, was yeah, yeah. That was Castaldi that said that. Yeah. He, he did. He clearly did. That's a rare instance where that occurred. He made a beautiful film with a shitty script. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I wonder if Castaldi uh, was would feel that that is a good movie. Um, he, I think he has a little more old school logic yeah in his in his formula it's it's not so abstract as is dario's thinking um but hey it's it's just it's just my opinion i either tend to really like his movies or kind of they just fall short for me but yeah. there's a reason he is celebrated in the giallo genre i mean check out bird with the crystal plumage check out tenabre yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to suspiria i mean now that Four Flies is widely available, and good news for you, Rob, they're doing a triple release of Four Flies on Grey Velvet, Suspiria, and something else for like 30 bucks. On, on, oh, no kidding. Yeah, so by the same company, Cult Films, that released my other copy, my limited edition copy of Suspiria, they're doing that. And that's just, and I think it's out now, but you know, it's Region B, but hey, whatever, it's available, it's there. So. Yeah. I'm actually beside myself. I am pessimistic by experience, not by preference. You know, I actually won for fourteen dollars a Synapse Films Suspiria Blu-ray that's for fourteen a, bucks. It's a great deal. Steal. It's a great deal, and I think that's about what it's worth. Because um, how I don't, I'm, I'm not sure if I could guess how you would feel about this movie. I think that you'd probably feel a lot like you would feel about opera. Um, okay, but I, I think that. It is such a beautiful movie, and it looks fabulous. It has a great soundtrack, and I, I listen to all of his soundtracks pretty regularly. Sure. It's just um, it, it doesn't feel like it goes outside the genre. It does feel a little bit like All the Colors of the Dark. It's got some of that feel to it. So, But I'm curious. I don't think – I think you – I I don't know. I, it's hard to say what you, what you would rate it, but – um, yeah, we can talk about all that when we do our Suspiria episode, but they're very similar. And it's almost like it's almost like the the lights and all of the green and the purple and the blue are so overdone, so oversaturated that you know, since Suspiria was the very first Jalo film I ever saw, I expected everyone to look like that. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So that kind of uh, makes an unfortunate uh, comparison much like excuse me to me nothing else really looks like uh blood and black lace i mean for coming from 1964 i mean that's just it blows my mind how that movie looks and and the lighting and the colors and the sounds and everything so i'm really looking forward to suspiria i am yeah i i think you'll like it. i don't i think that you're gonna be happy with your with your purchase and your for sure for sure for sure so, but I'm well, all, so I give I give this one a five. Do you give it a five? Yeah, hundred percent. I give uh, uh, Tenabre a five, and I would say Opera. I would give Opera a solid three, just because of how stunning it is and like visually perfect this movie is. But yes. it But it lacks two stars because of how underwhelming the story choices were, and like just the pacing of it was like he spent like seven minutes in this one sequence with the woman in the dress shop looking for the, when she uncovers the bracelet with the name engraved on it. And I was like, dude, just fucking come on with the scene already. Get on with it. Yeah. And I think if someone else was trying to do this movie, I think it would have less than a three star rating because his technical prowess is above average. So I don't know that someone else could take this movie and have it look the way he had it look. Yeah. So you take that aspect away from it, the yeah. shortcomings become more obvious. Oh, 100%, so. 100%. Oh, yeah, dude, exactly. Like, you can really see this film, if you took this story and this idea, and there's so many other films from 87 that came out, these slasher movies, that you can easily see it just falling, you know, in line with that and be like, oh, boy, another eye roller, you know, but... It was just a, it was just a very confusing movie overall. I was very confused by the choices and the absurdity of the ending, but maybe he has good reason for it. I don't know. 
who knows? Kind of goes into like the mad scientist kind of vibe behind some of these creative expressions. A lot of his films are a little bit more than just watching a movie. They're kind of a visual assault. Yeah, they are. They're very dreamy. Kind of, and, yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like yeah. a lot of his films are, they feel like homages to me to other genre films. I feel like you could equate, you could bring them together. I don't know. But that's just me. I always look. But, but again, when you have so many other Jalo films that were released in the seventies, you had that overlap. One guy copied the other, copied the other, copied the other, and that was a mixed bag. And you got some really, really good ones and some really, really bad ones. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. It was just oversaturated, and so once it done, did start to slow down a little bit, it made digesting them a little easier. At least made it easier to separate what you're watching because you're looking at a handful versus one of well hundreds of them or, yeah you know what there's yeah so many of them everywhere oh and I, and I can wonder like how many of these got distribution in the united states you know like how many of them came over and how many of them played and you know uh what was the public's the horror fan the moviegoers interpretation of these italian films in the 80s when you had movies like maniac and you know every everything else going on Friday yeah, the, the success 13th. of a nightmare on Elm Street and all yeah. that stuff yeah where did where did they fit in were they frowned upon did they look cheaper did they what was the tone of the 42nd Street grind house did were they critically lauded did, did they like him did they hate them I want to know like I really want a good public I'm envious opinion. for the people that got to experience these in the theaters even mm-hmm. after the fact I just I just really am like that's some next year, or actually, yeah, it would be next year. We got to try to go to the south side of Chicago and yeah, we'll go see one see one of these in the theater because just to watch it at home in the small screen, I I think we're missing it. I mean, just to see it, what it would be like in the theater, I think would increase our fondness. Of oh yeah, skills. yeah, and and they'll play crushers too. I mean, you'll see, you know, they'll play Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, and they'll play all of. Uh, and Beach Phoenix films. That's what they play. Or they'll play like Fulci. Oh yeah. You know, without they do like they do pieces. They they pieces is touring right now. Pieces. So hey, that's that movie's fucking great, man. Like that's one you gotta watch too. That's almost a giallo movie. It's very, very close to being a giallo movie. It's, yeah. Well, it, you know, that's the thing that can make talking about some of these a little harder because there's no one set definition of what the term giallo is and is it you know well it has to be based on these old detective stories Eh, not necessarily i mean that's the origins of it but i think a more broader thing is does the movie have the point of view kill stuff does it have like the exotic set pieces does it have the who's responsible who's not responsible does it have violent deaths so yeah, there's a lot of overlap. A lot of overlap. When you're looking at, I think yeah, the film genre, but I, but, but when you look at like the 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 literature genre that it, the films were derived from, then you definitely have like family drama, relationship drama, money drama, greed, greed yeah. betrayal, Lust. and it's all about like well, they're they're based on American writers, but the Italian versions were all about sinners being punished for their sins. When you break it when you really break it down and get into it, it's these people who sinned and who are bad and they're ultimately punished or they're they're petrified of being uncovered for their sins, so they have to keep sinning and one sin begets another. And that's typically how you see a lot of these like I cheated on my wife and I had to kill to cover it up, but then I had to kill 75 more people to cover up that. So yeah, just so no one finds out I'm a bad person. Right? Yeah, just so yeah. nobody finds yeah. out. And then like you have oh but you're sick. I'm not sick and I'm gonna kill you. You know what I mean? And of course we've seen that before too. So Yeah. Oh yeah. it's it's an exhausting rabbit hole to go down. There's so many directions to to chase the rabbit on this one. But that's the exciting thrill of 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 being a film lover. That's the that's the excitement of the journey. It is, and there's just something about this this genre that I've got into this one as much as any of the other things in my entire collection, and more than probably most of the stuff in my collection. And you know, having all oh, fifty some films, 
I, I'm happy with it, but I just wish I had space and room and, and resources oh, to, yeah. to, to acquire 50-some more. I mean, my interest in it isn't diminishing. I, I feel very happy that I have a lot of the yeah, me too. well-known films, and I feel happy that I've tracked down some of the lesser-known films. Um, I just don't see myself getting tired of of watching these. You know, I could watch one or two of them a week I'm, just yeah. cycle them through that way and I'd, I'd never get tired of them. I I, I'm, I'm only getting a little tired now because I'm itching to write. So tomorrow I'm, 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 you know, I'm going to uh, really like digging into the script that we're writing. But, you know, and I think that, um, I think maybe part of the reason this genre is so attractive is because it's a hidden gem, at least for me, because I didn't even know this genre existed and I thought I was a huge movie buff growing up and I knew a lot about films and I saw a lot of films and I was obsessed with movies and horror movies and all of these just slipped through the cracks and I heard about Deep Red and I heard about Suspiria and I heard about whatever else, New York Ripper, but I, you know, and I would read articles about it in Fangoria magazine and everything else and I just didn't really get it. I didn't get it. Yeah. And until later on, and I finally seen it when I was a teenager. I never even—I don't even know when I heard the term giallo first, but um, my life was never the same after that. I will tell you what. Yeah, so I feel kind of cheated. Like, yeah, someone should have told me before. Like, as much as I love Friday the Thirteenth, why didn't I know about Blood and Black Lace when I was a teenager? Why did I have to wait, you know, until my thirties to find out about it? Why didn't I know about these hidden gems? So. Almost like I'm making up for for lost time. But uh, I think, what do we want to talk about on our next one? What do you think? What should we go for? Well, also before that, to your point, I think for me it would take a really astute eye that I've developed over the years to appreciate them. And I think that now that I'm older, I appreciate these shallow films a lot more. So that's what I want to say. I to think so. Point. I think if I would like, if I was 16 or 17, like let's just say I watched, oh, I don't know, like Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three. And then I compared it to something like uh, Scorpion's Crimes Tale. Of the Black Cat. Yeah, Crimes of the Black yeah. Cat. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would have looked at Crimes of the Black Cat and said, "This movie, this movie doesn't have any of the special effects." It yeah, this sucks. Yeah. Yeah, this movie's slow. I mean, this this is like Columbo, but someone got knifed in the shower. Yeah, I would have dismissed it prematurely. So it, maybe it does take a little more mature mind to digest some of these stories so better late than never i guess right exactly we well in our next episode i don't know um i you watched the girl in room the girl in room 2a we can talk a little bit about that i started watching autopsy and that has a really good opening but the rest of the movie is kind of one way or the other um i guess okay. we'll figure it out i mean depends on when your copy of suspiria arrives and when we can coordinate the next one but oh you know i uh, want well, to have that on monday supposedly all right we'll so see. Well, when you come over tomorrow, maybe we could... Well, I'll have you take a look at Four Flies and Gray Velvet. Sure. And then I have another Argento over there, too. I think it's called The Five Days or something. Something like that, or The Dogs. Something like that. It's over there. We can take a look and see what else I have. And, um, okay. Yeah, we'll see. Wait. Well, you know, there's one that um, I really think you should watch. And I'm sure... Okay. I don't know if you have a physical copy... Um, but you really should watch The House with Laughing Windows. Now, you let me borrow your region player because, unbeknownst to me, I bought the Shameless copy, which won't play in American stuff, and I used your player to watch it, and I absolutely love this movie, okay. and I think you will, too. I found a copy on YouTube. Does yours have an English audio track? Oh, uh, okay, let me see here. Puppy of Oddies, The House with Laughing Windows, Shameless, 18... Uh, let's see here. New features, new visuals, and new audio restored under the supervision of the director. Uh, new exclusive Puppy Avati interview. New improved subtitles, theatrical trailer, shameless trailer, park. Uh, well, okay, yes. Okay, bring Italian that. Italian audio and English subtitles. Okay, bring that. Mm, maybe yeah. maybe bring that for me and I'll watch it. Um, because I, I found a copy on YouTube and... The only I, it's in it's in Italian and the captions are like weird, so okay. yeah, it's a difficult watch for me. That's why I haven't seen it yet. I have I I cannot find a, a decent copy of that movie. Yeah, and I think now come to think of it, I think I remembered watching this with English subtitles, um, and I never had a problem with it. 
Okay. So yeah, no, I think, I, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, I think this is a, a pretty good copy as far as that goes. It, it's a it's a slow burn, um, but it does revolve around a dead painter, which oh, cool. you know, you and I can appreciate that. Sure, and, yeah. Yeah. So okay. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that one for sure. We'll see when my copy of Suspiria comes in and uh whenever that happens, it has to be Suspiria and Blood and Black Lace. Those two together. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Uh, well, um, if you'd like to follow the show, you can follow us on Letterboxd to see the movies that we're watching in the collection. Letterboxd at Film Trauma. You can follow the show on Twitter at Film Trauma Pod, Instagram Film Trauma Podcast. Please like, rate, and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Pandora, Sirius XM, uh, Spotify, wherever good podcasts are found. And with that, awesome. with that, we'll sign off. And uh, Rob, hang on the line. We'll talk about it tomorrow quick. All right, sounds good. And we'll see you later. Bye. See you later.